This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was Nero who fiddled while Rome burned. Supposedly, anyway, I wasn't there. But it'll be the bunch of us who noodle around while Rome just kind of hangs out. Rome wasn't built in a day, they say, and the lockout won't be resolved in a month, mainly because the two sides are dug in and will likely stay that way until spring training is on approach. The good news is there are a lot of things the Mets can do between now and whenever the fiddling stops. We'll talk about that next. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. Yes, baseball has hit the pause button, but no team has more to get done during this lockout than the New York Metropolitans. That's actually good news for the likes of us starving for news we can use. Josh Lewin with you. Hope you're having an excellent December so far. The Mets have finished their first round of managerial interviews, a second round likely to take place, maybe as you're listening to this podcast. And once the manager's in place, He can hire a coaching staff. That's a huge project, too. The Mets still need a director of pitching development, and they can still sign some minor league free agents along these next few weeks. Those things can be done while the labor war drones along. Once it's time for real free agents, guys we have heard of, uh, well, they they need a couple bullpen arms and a starting pitcher. You look at uh, Michael Pineda and Carlos Radon and Tyler Anderson and Yusei Kikuchi, Those guys are all still out there. And obviously, one more bat. If you want Chris Bryant, he's still out there, too. Just throwing that out there since it's not my money. The six managerial finalists, if you haven't heard, let's go through them alphabetically. Brad Ausmus became a very obvious candidate as soon as Billy Epler got named GM. Epler hired Ausmus as Angels manager before 2019. He spent a year managing Max Scherzer with Detroit in 2014. Joe Espada has been a very popular managerial candidate recently. He's interviewed well for that Angels job that went to Osmus, the Rangers job that went to Chris Woodward, Giants job that went to Gabe Kapler, and the Cubs job that went to David Ross. He's got more than a decade's worth of experience in big league dugouts. He knows the responsibilities of the role, even though he's, he's never actually done it. Bob Guerin has the Sandy Alderson connection spanning many years. Say so They did not overlap in their time in Oakland in the late 90s, but they've got a strong mutual uh, bond and relationship with Billy Bean. And a year after the Mets hired Sandy to lead their baseball ops way back in 2010, they brought in Bob Guerin as Terry Collins' bench coach and remained in that role through the World Series run of 15 and a 16. Then he left to take the same job with the Dodgers. And he was once on Family Feud, so that too was a plus. As for the guy you probably don't know that well, Clayton McCullough has only one year of experience on a big league staff. First base coach for the Dodgers this past year. He's been the Dodgers field coordinator. That's kind of an old Terry Collins role. Uh, Very widely regarded. He's 41 years old. He's probably got the longest odds here. Next, alphabetically, 
Matt Quattraro, 48 years old. He's been the Rays bench coach for three years, was in Cleveland before that, longtime minor league guy. He interviewed for that Giants job that went to Kapler. He was a finalist for the Pirates job that went to Derek Shelton. Uh, reportedly spoke with the Tigers before they hired A.J. Hinch. And finally, alphabetically, Showalter, comma, Buck. Uh, that, by far, is the most experienced name of all these candidates. He's got the Epler connection when the Angels were looking to replace Brad Osmus. Uh, Epler reportedly recommended that Artie Moreno hire Buck Showalter, and Artie Moreno does his own thing, says, uh, bring me Joe Madden. Buck, obviously great with the media, understands New York very well because he managed the Yankees. Only had four of eight winning seasons in Baltimore. I got a lot of criticism about how he handled Zach Britton in that wild card game. Uh, He's old school. He'd have to be willing to accept the the new front office influence that's now pretty much here to stay across the sport. If I was handicapping this thing, I've got Showalter at two to one as the favorite. I've got Osmus and Guerin each at four to one. I've got Espada at six to one. Quartraro, I'm going to put at ten to one. McCullough at twenty to one. Tune in next week. Find out how I am as a handicapper because we may be able to tell you which horse is standing in the winner's circle with a bunch of flowers around his neck. All right, a couple other projects we're going to do here, and we'll keep this going for the next few weeks. We're going to go position by position and just kind of break down where the Mets are. Almost said where the Mets are at. And as we know, we we don't end a sentence with a preposition. I, I learned that one in probably the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Got it right uh, finally around sophomore year of college. So one area where the Mets are keeping it status quo is catcher. James McCann will be the primary starter. Tomas Nito is his defensive-minded backup. McCann did not have a great first season with the bat as a Met, uh, and maybe like many of his teammates could be due for a bounce back. He's got 999 career big league plate appearances, so he's reasonably fully formed by now. His career batting average heading into last year was 270 as a Medi hit 232. So somewhere in between the two, probably a fair forecast for this coming summer. Nito had a really good year behind the plate, but a tough year at the plate. Patrick Mazika showed a weird ability for squibbing it where they ain't back in May, but he's going to have to do more with the bat this season to close the gap on Nito. And they're all trying to hold off Hayden Sanger, who we're going to meet later in this podcast. The Mets opted not to protect him ahead of the Rule 5 draft. And we don't know that he'll actually still be a Met, but I think he's a good prospect. Uh, Calculated risk with uh, leaving him off the the 40-man. He's a a very good defensive catcher. Teams love that kind of guy and you know, kind of get him as a a backup to start, and then maybe he becomes Tucker Barnhart or somebody like that. Obviously, Francisco Alvarez, still the best prospect in the whole system. Tantalizing talent, uh, just a a beacon of joy on a baseball field. He he plays the game with, with a real passion, and he's one to dream on, but he's not a 2022 guy, at least not until September or so. I think ETA for him is 2023 in Queens. So for now, bottom line is last year, the Mets catchers had a combined wins above replacement last season of minus point zero point one. Did I do the math right? Eh-eh. Bottom line is last year, the Mets catchers had a combined wins above replacement of minus 0.1. Yeah, that's offensive war, by the way, not factoring in defense, which, of course, is highly important to that position. But with the stick, McCann was a minus 0.2. Nito was a plus 0.3. Cisco, a minus 0.1. Mazika, a 
minus 0.1. Add it up, not great, Bob. You got a toothless cobra. And as Glenn Quagmire once told the guys on Family Guy, what's a cobra without teeth? It's a, a belt. So uh, you don't have to run it back to the salad days of Mike Piazza, who routinely had a war of five, or Paul LaDuca, who was always a three, or Todd Hundley, who was a perennial four. Gary Carter was a perennial five or six. Even John Stearns was good for a three or a four for war every year. But even Travis Darno and Kevin Plowecki as Mets were plus ones. Pining for Plowecki. Is that a good band name? Do you guys all see Kevin Plowecki DHing in playoffs this past October for Boston? As Luke Wilson said in Anchorman before he got his second arm lopped off, I did not see that coming. So a guy that is coming along in the pipeline, we talked about Hayden Sanger, S-E-N-G-E-R, 24, very strong defensively, 770 OPS between Brooklyn and Binghamton this past season. Miami of Ohio guy, uh, Adam Eaton, Tim Nairing, Charlie Liebrandt, Bill Doran, a lot of good players added there. From the Cincinnati area, originally, I love his Twitter, it says, uh, present, not perfect. That, that's a great way to sum it up for all of us, I think. Career 254 hitter, 10 home runs, has never stolen a base. But let's meet the actual guy. Let's talk to Hayden Sanger. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. All right, Hayden Sanger joins us right now. And uh, for those who don't know, a very strong defensive catcher that can actually hit a little bit too. And to just get people updated on your background, I mean, you're a guy that, uh, I mean, look, 24th round pick. So not a lot of Mets fans are like, oh yeah, Hayden Sanger, because, you know, they know the first round guys, they don't know the 24th round guys. But give me a, a little billboard for, for what you are and what you can do. Uh, yeah, catching is definitely my strongest thing that I have I'm always working on hitting and you know when it comes to catching it's always nice to have the fallback knowing that I'm good there uh, especially when hitting isn't going well hitting is always going to be a work in progress and you know I think I've gotten a lot better at it so (laughs) definitely would uh, rate myself as more of a defensive catcher than a hitting catcher but I think the hitting can come around do you look at guys in the big leagues that, that wear that label, and does that give you a little bit of a boost, thinking that, all right, yes, I mean, I, I want to hit 300, and I want to hit 30 home runs, but if I don't, Jeff Mathis has played for 16 years in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's nice being a catcher that has the defensive ability because there's always a spot for those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite catchers is Tucker Barnhart. I grew up in Cincinnati, so I've watched him a lot, and, like, he's he can hit a little bit, but 
he's back there because he's so good with pitchers and just such a great catcher. Yeah. So. What made you want to become a catcher? Was it born out of circumstance? I mean, were you the only guy that could, could do it when you were a little kid, or why did you gravitate to it? No, I actually I started catching in T-ball because I just loved wearing the gear. Yeah. And that is the only reason I became a catcher. I just thought the gear was cool and I wanted to wear it. <laughs> I, you know what, though? You, I think you'd be surprised at how many guys say that. I mean, because yeah. it really is. You know, you're the only guy facing that way when everybody mm-hmm. else is facing this way. Yeah. You know, it, it, you really are kind of on an island and you do look the coolest. That is yeah. true. Yeah, you definitely look the coolest and it's nice having all the eyes on you. Yeah. So. so getting a rapport established with pitchers, part of mm-hmm. being a good defensive catcher, obviously that's a big part of it. You're a personable guy. So it seems like those two things kind of go hand in hand. It's not like you're a shy guy that's mm-hmm. trying to get the most out of a pitcher. Does that help you? Do you find being sociable? I mean, you're, you're working with 19 and 20-year-olds sometimes. Yeah. yeah, being sociable as a catcher is a big factor, and that is something that I used to struggle with because I, I honestly felt a little uncomfortable when I first got drafted. You know, it's a, it's a big step up, like here mm-hmm. Meeting all these guys from different areas, your different countries, and um, you know, having the rapport with them, I think, is the most important part. Just having confidence in you behind the plate and them on the mound—it's a big deal. So you mentioned Tucker Barnhart, and that's actually a really good comp, I think. Yeah. Are there other guys that along the way, now that you're getting to know other people in the game? I mean, ex-players, current players. Yeah. Who else do you would you put in that category? Uh, well, I was fortunate enough to get a big league spring training this year and I got to meet you know McCann and Nito and I would say like both those guys are just they're great with pitchers they're great guys like uh, McCann is definitely a guy to look up to when it comes to building rapport with pitchers like I think he he does it right back there you know like he's he gives it his all and he's you know a great guy to look up to when you were in college, and for those that don't know, Miami of Ohio, yeah. not, not the one in Florida, Miami, because we're going to talk a lot about your Ohio-ness during this little thing we got going here. But um, that's an actually pretty competitive area. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the MAC is, is strong in baseball. I don't think a lot of people really understand that. Did you feel like they uh, challenged you being in the MAC like that? Yeah, I do. And, you know, playing in the MAC, there's so many other things that go with it you know the the cold weather the not as good field conditions there and i think it really uh like builds some toughness in you if you can make it there you can make yeah. it anywhere yeah. yeah like if i can play in northern illinois and right. 20 degree weather when it's hailing outside i think i can play in most conditions yeah <laughs> DeKalb is just lovely it oh really, yeah, it yeah. Is. uh great lakes collegiate summer league though mm-hmm. uh, now that's probably a little different a little better experience and, mm-hmm. and i'm interested how that went for you uh yeah that was really good i think that was a big turning point in my career uh especially you know i hit 170 my sophomore year at miami so there was a lot of things that i had to go work on yeah. and being able to play there close to home i felt comfortable and you know being able to work on making myself better in that league was you know probably the turning point for my career and home again is kind of suburbanish Cincinnati, mm-hmm. I guess. So let's let's yeah. let's dive in because, as you may know, uh, Skyline Chili not yeah. always revered in places outside of Cincinnati. The TV booth had some fun with that yeah. this year. 
Uh, did you see that when, when Gary Keith, uh, yeah, actually Gary it. and Ron, but yeah, tell yep. me your reaction because they just lambasted <laughs> that crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw it and, you know, <laughs> Skyline Chili is, it's my favorite place in the world. I absolutely love it. I will die for You'll that place. You'll swear by it, yeah. I will swear by it, but, you know, I totally get it. I, I meet so many people that come to Cincinnati from different areas. It's definitely an acquired taste, but... I absolutely love it. It is my favorite restaurant in the world, and I mean, like, seriously, like, I, no, you. I mean, you look. Yeah. You own it. You you say. I mean, yeah. you know, there are people that come to New York, and they're like, I don't get deli. You yeah. know, I mean, so it makes the world go round. I got yeah. it. For those that don't know, it is my old radio partner Howie Rose would describe it as spaghetti soup, yeah. and I think that's actually kind of accurate. And you can get it three way, four way, five way. Can you can you uh, just educate us? on what are the differences and which is your version. Yeah, so pretty much when you go to Skyline, there's three things that people usually get. It's the three-way, which is the spaghetti, chili, and cheese. And then there's the cheese coney, which is the hot dog, chili, and cheese. And then a lot of people get a cholito too, which is uh, pretty much just the burrito with chili in it. But it Freaking is a, disgusting, dude. I'm sorry. No, it's, <laughs> it is, it's so good. Like, I would... I would tell everybody to at least try it once. Right. And if you don't like it, I totally understand, but I could eat that place three times a day, and I have. <laughs> we'll find common ground with Grater's ice cream. I will give you oh, that. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, Skyline, Grater's, La Rosa's, United Dairy Farmers. Like, those are <laughs> those are the places in Cincinnati, and I will I will die with those places. All right, hey, I, respect. <laughs> I, I, I got to give it to you. Yeah. In Cincinnati, uh, you grow up, obviously, Red Span. You mentioned Tucker mm-hmm. Barnhart. And it's funny because I think of who you probably grew up watching, and it's not Ken Griffey Jr. It's probably Jay Bruce. It's yeah. probably guys like that. Mm-hmm. Jay, of course, you know, came to the Mets and did some nice things. Who who were your guys? And it doesn't even have to be baseball, but did you have a Bengals guy growing up or what else? Uh, not really a Bengals guy, but uh, uh, I – for some, like when I was young, I loved Pokey Reese. Yeah, for some I reason, see that. I, yeah. I, I loved Pokey Reese. I loved the way he played, and uh, I actually named my uh, first stuffed animal after <laughs> Pokey Reese. I, Didn't we all? Come yeah, on, Harry. <laughs> I named him Pokey, and then what kind of stuffed animal? Can I ask? Yeah, it was just a build a bear. It was all right. a build a bear named Pokey. Dog. Yep, yeah. Yep. Okay. Put a baseball uniform on him and called him Pokey. I love it. Yep. So. From Cincinnati, diehard Cincinnati guy, mm-hmm. and obviously now you switch allegiances to yeah. the Mets. I mean, we get it because you're getting paid by the Mets. But um, I, I get it. That stuff doesn't leave you, right? I mean, yeah. your family, is everybody in Ohio? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much all my family members are in Ohio. Um, most of them are Reds fan. My mom actually grew up a Mets fan. She's from New Jersey. Okay. And she used to go to Shea Stadium all the time. And you get five points for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm building a rapport here. <laughs> so just looking over your career stats so far, and you're just getting going. I mean, you're, you know what, you're 24 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, 254 hitter, that's not 170 anymore, yeah. like you were in that year of college you described. What changed? What got you better? Uh, honestly, I credit a lot to my uh, hitting coach in college. His name is Justin Dedman. He... Uh, really made me buy into the mental part of hitting before that i was all you know i was just going up there and praying i ran into one and got a hit you know it was there was never really anything wrong with my swing it was just i would get in these ruts and i wouldn't be able to get out of it and i went a whole month without getting a hit in college one time and you know once i met him once he got me started going on the mental 
aspect of hitting, I think, is when I really started to change, you know, doing the visualization stuff and, the, like, having a plan going into an at-bat is something that really turned my career around. And in terms of your defense, which, again, is certainly a strong suit already, what's your take on just kind of the, the, the semantics and the syntax of, you know, we hear about the pitch framing and how important mm-hmm. that is. We hear about... Uh, you know, do you put the the one knee on the ground or not? I mean, so there's a lot of things that go into it. Are are you a student of it? Do you? I mean, do you take inventory and say, okay, I'm going to make an educated decision that, you know, this is what I'm going to approach it as in terms of how I'm blocking balls. This is how I'm going to try to gently tug a pitch back into the zone. Do you really go to school on that, or you just kind of let things happen? Yeah, I I really dive deep into the the statistics that they have for pitch framing it's something that i review every single night i after every single game i review like where my misses were where i excel at and you know the misses you get better at and where you excel you just keep doing the same thing it's cool that you have those data points now i mean a few years ago that wasn't a thing yeah yeah definitely it's nice to you know there's hot charts for like where hitters really crush pitches and there's also hot charts now where catchers excel at framing right and after my 2019 season at columbia i had i was blue up at the top of the zone so i was really bad up there and then really red at the bottom so i knew i was good at the bottom of the zone but i knew there was a lot to be had at the top of the zone not giving up on pitches and actually being able to stick those like not just being solely you know uh just having benefit from the low pitch like get all the pitches so in a weird way, and I wonder this with every catcher, not just ones that are coming up through the ranks, but ones that are established, if they go to the automated strike zone, is it like, damn it, I did all this work about how to steal a pitch here and there, and now it's not a thing anymore? Yeah, uh, the automatic strike zone is definitely like, it, it takes away my uh, best ability, yeah, I think. Yeah, you've worked on that, you've owned it, yeah. Yeah, I've owned it, you know, that's something I've worked hard at for the last 10 years, but, you know, there's benefits to everything the game's always going to change and it's all about adapting to the change so right. if that does end up becoming a thing then i'll just get better at hitting and i'll get better <laughs> at throwing guys out so that's a great attitude and my final question for you in your lifetime will the Bengals win a super bowl yes <laughs> joe <laughs> i think joe burrow will do it okay all right fair enough yeah he's a hell of a player thank you buddy thank you all right that's our hayden singer interview and that is our show. Next week, maybe some managerial news. Definitely a continuation of our position-by-position breakdown. We'll focus on first baseman. Speaking of which, we have an all-first base and third base house band to introduce you to today. Isn't that weird? This whole time, turns out, on keyboards, was Ike Davis. Slapping the bass was Willie Montanez. The horn section was Mike Marshall. And on drums, the gangster of love himself, Hubie Brooks. This is Josh Lewin, Gangster of Geeks. Stay warm, stay positive, keep the faith, and let's go Mets. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 